morning. There, there are few things in life that are more important to consider, maybe nothing more important to consider than, than issues of life and death. And Paul addresses life and death here in the second half of chapter 5 of Romans as we continue to look at the book of Romans. Um, we're going to look at the passage from um, Romans 5.12 to 5.21. It's printed in your order of worship. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to use that. Um, if you don't have a Bible, let us know. Let me know after the service, and, and I would love to give you one and encourage you to read it. Um, but we're looking at the book of Romans as, as Paul gives us, um, I, I think, better than any other place in the Bible, a um, clear description and an understanding of the gospel, of the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done in order to love us and set us free. And, uh, and not, it's not just a description, but it is a celebration of who Jesus is and what he's done. So listen to God's word as, uh, as Paul is really in this section of the, of the book, he's, he's really talking about the benefits of faith in Jesus, of being justified by faith. So listen to God's word as I read. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to, to increase the trespasses, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, this uh, passage is not... I think a really easy one to grasp on first glance. But Father, we pray that you would help us to think about these words. We pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and that you would help us to see what it means to take hold of life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, just this past week, a friend of ours died. He was uh, uh, 
the father of one of Kim's best friends, maybe Kim's best friend as she was growing up, and he was, uh, really, he knew Jesus really well. And he worked with a ministry to high school students for a bunch of years. And he, was, his, he and his family were the reason that Kim really heard the gospel, heard about Jesus for the first time. And he was instrumental in her coming to know Jesus. And uh, he also led a Bible study that I was in in high school. And he was the one that, that officiated our wedding. And he's been an encouragement to us throughout many, many years of our lives. And he died this past week. And I know that uh, he's impacted a lot of people. And many people will grieve the fact that he is gone, although he is not grieving now. But a friend of ours died. And um, this is the thing, none of us are immune from death touching our lives. None of us are. Um, When you're a kid, you might be kind of oblivious to it for a little while. But as you get older, all of our lives are touched by death. All of our lives um, live, are lived in the shadow of death in different ways. Romans 5 tells us that death can be traced to one man. Right? It says here, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. It, it seems to point out the fact, it reminds us of the fact that God in the way that he created all things and organized all things, he decided to have this one man, Adam, be the guy who represented everybody. And his choices became our choice. And the fact that he turned away from God and he chose himself over God, that has repercussions for all of us. It plunged the entire history of the human race into sin, and to live in the shadow of death, to live in a world where death reigns. You might be like, that that's, doesn't sound right to me. That's like, it's, it's very foreign, this concept of one guy you know, making choices for us all um, is very foreign to all of us, uh, Westerners especially, who, who prize our individualism, you know, who just want God to deal with me based on my choices. But there are a lot of parts in the world where people are very familiar with understanding, you know, like living in solidarity with, solidarity with, with one another and having one person represent them. Um, but even we in, in America are familiar with these, these concepts of one person representing others. I mean, with our government, don't we have, uh, we elect people to represent us and their vote is our vote, whether we like it or not. Um, in the court system, in the legal system, if you ever find yourself in the legal system, you often get yourself a lawyer and your lawyer will represent you, and what your lawyer says and what your lawyer does represents you, right? Um, So this concept isn't foreign to us, but this is how God deals with the human race. He's decided to have this one man, Adam, and his choices be what we have to live with. Um, You might also be like, that doesn't seem fair. I mean, if, if only God would have just let me choose, maybe I would have fared better. But if you're honest with yourself, you will realize that that's not true either. Um, because we can all look at our own lives. I mean, it, it even says here, you know, death came, through, uh, death came through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. You know, Adam's sin is counted as ours, but the reality is, as throughout history, every single person has failed to live as God wants us to live, has failed to pay attention to God as we should, 
has failed to love God and love others as we should, we all have sinned. And so we all deserve what sin results in, which is death, which is to live under the reign of death. And that's what a lot of this passage is about, is, is about the fact that the reality is, is that we all live under a reign of death. Death reigns in our world throughout history. Death reigns in our lives. And, and as I mentioned before, we're all familiar with the fact that death reigns. We're all familiar with the fact that, that we know people who have died. We've lost people that we love who have died. We look at the world and we see people dying at the hands of one another as wickedness, right? As you get older, you are forced to realize, yeah, my body is dying. I'm wearing out. It doesn't work as it used to. But not only do we deal with physical death, I think this passage is not just talking about physical death, although it is, I think it's also talking about something just as real, although that we, something that we don't necessarily see, and that's a spiritual death. I mean, I think he makes reference to it in verse 18. He says, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. Not only did, did the sin of Adam lead to death, physical death, but it lead, led to condemnation. It led to, to a, a br- breaking of our relationship with God. It led to our feeling alienated from God. It led to our being alienated from God and under his judgment and condemnation. And because of that, we live with a, with a sense, whether we, we realize it or not, we live with an experience of death reigning over our lives of spiritual death, of emotional death, of death in our relationships. Our relationships aren't what they should be. We have trouble connecting with one another. We have trouble listening to one another. We have trouble thinking of one another. We have trouble just enjoying life. There's all sorts of things. You know, we, we all like have all these longings in life and desires and, and, and no matter what we try to satisfy those longings with, it's never enough, you know? How many of you guys have looked forward to a vacation for a really long time, and you finally go on the vacation? And, and there's a lot of great things about it, but, but no matter what, it's never what it was cracked up to be. Sorry for those who are about to go to Disney World here. <laughs> but it's never what it's cracked up to be. I mean, C.S. Lewis talks about that in Mere Christianity. If you ever read Mere Christianity, I, I encourage you to read that book. It's a fantastic book. C.S. Lewis writes about how we all have these longings that nothing in this world can satisfy, and that's part of experiencing the reign of death. No matter how hard we try, we will never be fully satisfied by the things that we think will give us joy. And so we all live under the reign of death. And so the question is, how do we escape it? How do we escape from having to live with, with an ever-present experience of the reign of death. And, and Paul talks about it here, right here in Romans 5. Um, and it, he talks about it, 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 the, the way out of the reign of death, the way away from the reign of death is through the act of one man. Through the act of one man. And, and this is where he, he compares Jesus with Adam throughout this passage. And he, he talks about how in, uh, in verse 14 that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. You see that? Throughout this whole passage, he's comparing Adam and Jesus, Adam and Jesus. And, and, and the point is that just as Adam, God looked at Adam and said, I'm going I'm to count whatever you do for the rest of humanity. He looks at Jesus and he says, I'm going to count whatever you do for whoever will receive you. 
Okay, so in that sense, Adam is a type. He's a, he's a foreshadowing of what Jesus is for us. And, and, he, and he says this, the way to escape, the way for death to be undone, the reign of death to be undone is through this one man, Jesus. And it's not just through this one man. It says even through this act of righteousness in verse 18. There's this one act of righteousness that leads us out of death. What is that act of righteousness? He doesn't spell it out here, but, but I think what he's really talking about is, is Jesus' obedience that takes him to the cross. That final act of obedience where he says, Father, I'm going to surrender to you. It's not my will, it's your will be done. And Jesus went to the cross to die for us, to pay for our sin. It's Jesus' perfect obedience that is the only thing that leads us away from, out from under the reign of death. And it's important to realize that it's just this one man and this one act. And it's important to realize that because it, it, it helps us to understand, okay, if, if Jesus has accomplished, it helps us understand that, that Jesus, um, what Jesus did is certain and it's final, right? Jesus' actions are certain and final. He has set us free from death. And so now, why is that important? Now I don't have to wonder if I need to do something more. I don't have to wonder, uh, if, if whenever something bad happens in my life, I don't have to be like, is that God trying to get back at me for something that I've done? Is that God trying to punish me? I don't have to wonder about that. If I'm counting on what Jesus has done, and Jesus has done everything needed for me to be set free from death, then I don't ever have to wonder. I don't ever have to be thinking about, it. okay, what do I need to do? What more do I have to do? in order to get God to forgive me, in order to get God to love me, in order to get God to give me life. The reign of death is undone through one man and one act. It happened 2,000 years ago. It's certain, it's final, it's complete, it's decisive. And so what Paul emphasizes here is because of Jesus' act, because of Jesus' obedience, we can now live lives that, that are, are kind of beginning to, to, to kind of come out from under the reign of death and actually experience life. And he talks a lot about in here about how what Jesus has done is to give us the abounding gift of life in here. Did you notice that? That is what he offers us, the abounding gift of life in a world where death reigns. So what exactly does he mean by that? What exactly is life? What does life look like? What does it look like to live with, with, with a sense of life in the midst of a world where death reigns? Well, I think there's three things that you can see in this passage. Um, one is that life is directly connected with this idea of justification. It's directly connected with this idea of justification, which we've been talking about for the last few weeks. If you haven't been here, I'll try to explain it in a, in a nutshell here. But, but the idea of justification is this. The, the word justification is mean, it just simply means that to declare somebody righteous, to declare somebody ha to have met the uh, standards that they have been required to meet, to declare somebody righteous is to say that you are acceptable. You are enough. To declare somebody righteous, to justify them, is to pronounce one's favor over somebody else. And that's what God does through Jesus, through the work of Jesus, through his obedience. Um, as we talked about, I think, a couple weeks ago, how we all kind of, as we come before God, we bring with us a resume that says, this is what I've done. 
this is what I've accomplished. Now accept me. But we realize that to bring all our resume of what we've done before God, none of our resume is good enough. None of our resumes are good enough. But what God says, he says, Jesus has lived a perfect life. His resume is perfection. And if you will receive it, I'm gonna count his resume as yours. And I'm gonna treat you that way. I'm gonna treat you, I'm gonna love you just like I love Jesus. That's what it means to be justified. That's what it means to be justified. It's to be absolutely confident that God is delighted in me. That he loves me. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. It means that in the midst of my sin, in the midst of my failure, in the midst of my unworthiness, that God's still going to be like, you're awesome. You're awesome. Because God looks at me, and when he looks at me, he sees Jesus' righteousness, his perfection, his obedience. That's what it means to be justified. And so this is where life is wrapped up in. Life is wrapped up in understanding that, that my relationship with God isn't on shaky ground. My relationship with God is actually connected and full because I can count on the fact that he is committed to loving me. He is on my side. He's with me. He delights in me. When he looks at me, no matter how bad of a day I had, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what it means to be justified. That's what it means to have life, is to be confident that God couldn't be happier with me. So to have life is to be reconnected to God and to be confident that he is near and that he loves me deeply. It's also connected to becoming more righteous, right? To be justified is to know that God loves me even though my life is still a mess. But actually, life is also connected to, be, to, to, to growing to become more like God, more righteous, more holy. As he says in verse 21, he says, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I think he's saying that as we receive the work of Jesus, what he does is he puts his spirit in us in order to begin changing us and leading us towards actual righteousness in the way that we live. Towards a greater ability to actually love people well, to be more patient, to be more kind, to be more gentle, to be more compassionate, to be more just, to be more committed to speaking truth. This is what it means to live. We think, we think life is wrapped up in all of the things that we experience and all the things that we can attain. But the reality is, life is wrapped up in becoming more like Jesus. That is where you'll find the greatest satisfaction in the world, is actually living a life like Jesus that blesses others that gives to others, that sacrifices for others. This is where life is found, in becoming more righteous. And then one aspect of life is that, that's referred to in this passage. It's a little bit more hard to grasp, but, but it's tied up with the future. It's tied up with the future. Look at verse 17. He says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So what it's saying there is that, that because of 
One man's sin, because of sin in the world, death reigns in the world. But because of the gift of Jesus, what we can expect is that those who receive that gift will reign in life. We will reign in life. It's not that, so we don't go from death reigning over us to life reigning over us. But actually what it says is that we go from death reigning over us to people who reign in life. What does that mean? Well, it's talking about the future, okay? I mean, what, what sort of people reign? Royalty reigns. Kings and queens reign. What does it mean to reign? It means to have power. It means to have security. It means to have honor and glory. And this is what he promises those who, who receive the work of Jesus. He says, one day in the future, you are going to sit with me and we will reign over all of creation. You are future royalty. And we need to live with that knowledge now in the midst of a world where there's a lot of death that is reigning, where there's a lot of brokenness. You are future royalty. You have glory awaiting you that you can't even imagine. You are future kings and queens. And as you reign, he means for us to reign in life over a world that is living as opposed to broken. That is what we have awaiting us. This is what it means to live. This is what it means to have life, to have a, a relationship with God that is restored, where we're confident that he is near us and that he delights in us, where we are growing to be more like him, and where we are confident in a future where everything will be made right, all will be beautiful, all will be perfect, all will be full of life, and we will be reigning over it all with him. And so the question is, Jesus has accomplished this for us, but how do we tap into this? How do we detach ourselves from the, from the misery and the oppression of the reign of death that we experience every day of our lives? And I think that, that the way that we do this, the thing that we have to do, is that I think it has a lot to do with this idea of grace. Did you notice how many times grace was mentioned in this passage? If you were listening, if you were paying attention, it was mentioned several times, well, at least five times. First of all, in verse 15, he says, the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Okay? And then in verse 17, he says, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. And then lastly, in verses 20 and 21, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace, it has to do with grace. Grace. How do we tap into the, to, to life that Jesus has purchased for us, that Jesus has won for us, that Jesus has accomplished for us through his act of obedience and sacrifice? How do we tap into it? We drink in as much grace as we possibly can, as much of the grace of God that we possibly can. We drink it in. We drink it in. What, 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 what does that even mean? What is grace anyway? We, we talk about it a lot. 
It's so important to understand what is grace? And I've mentioned before, a simple definition is grace is unmerited favor. It's, it's, it's favor given to us who don't deserve it. But essentially, what is grace? Grace is God's love and his kindness and his power and his presence that he wants to pour out upon us in spite of the fact that we have proven ourselves unworthy of it. That's what grace is. Grace is God's movement towards us with his goodness. His constant movement toward us with his goodness. In spite of the fact of whether we deserve it or not. That's what grace is. And we need to learn to drink that in. To drink in God's movement towards us with his goodness and his kindness every day of our lives, every moment of our lives, to be, to be seeking to drink it in, to guzzle it. Our kids are terrible drinkers. We, we, we try to get them to drink all the time, and they, they just don't ever want to drink. You know, I, I, I fill their cups up at lunch with, like, water, and I'm like, you guys need to drink more. You need to drink more. It's good for you. And they never want to drink. They never want to. They fight us all the time, and I'm, I always come back to the table, and the, the, the cup is full. But there is one time in the day when they're always eager to start drinking as much as they possibly can. You know what time it is? It's bedtime, yeah. Bedtime. When, I, when we say, okay, it's time to go to bed, everybody rushes to the kitchen. And they're like filling up bottles as, as much as they can. Like as many bottles as they can. They're like, they're like drinking as much as they possibly can. I don't know if they're just trying to put off going to bed, if they know that it'll like, you know, make them go to the bathroom in the middle of the night so they can wake up you know, and not have to sleep through the night. I'm not sure what it is. I'm like, this is the one time I don't want them to drink. And they're just guzzling it down. That's how we need to drink of the grace of God. We need to drink, on, drink of God's grace like our lives depend on it. We need to teach ourselves how to drink of the grace of God like our lives depend on it. How do we do that? Well, one of the things that, that we need to grow and, and, and train ourselves to do is, I, I've talked about this before, others talk about this, about, about preaching the gospel to ourselves every day of our lives, reminding ourselves of the fact that, that we have sinned and we, we have turned our backs on God and apart from his work in our lives, we don't deserve his love. And yet, because of Jesus he says, I want to pour as much as I possibly can on you. You notice the word abounding is always associated with grace here? The grace of God is abounding. It's overflowing. It's more than we can even handle. That's the nature of the grace of God, the nature of God's movement toward us with his goodness and his love. We need to remind ourselves of that. Every morning when we wake, when we wake up, we need to be like, I got to remember today, no matter what happens, God is planning on showering his goodness upon me. That's what this day has in store. I need to remind myself of this. Live with the confidence that this is what's going to happen today. No matter what the evidence otherwise, I need to be, I need to be counting on the fact that everything that happens is, is God's goodness working for me to express his love for me. I need to uh, read Read his word. I mean, the, the, the Bible is so crucial for us understanding God's grace. And yet, I, 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 I'm afraid that a lot of us, you know, even those of us who read the Bible a lot, I think a lot of us read the Bible just for more knowledge 
of who God is, maybe. That's not a bad thing. Or maybe just more, more like, how can I figure out, how can I use this to help me figure out how to live life better? That's a good thing. But I think we also need to read the Bible with eyes that are looking for God's grace because it's everywhere in here. It's everywhere in here. We need to read the Bible attuned to where he wants to remind us of how gracious he is, how full of grace he is. We need to drink it in as we read his word every day of our lives. And we also need to not just drink it, we need to, we need to pour it out. Again, that's the nature of grace. Grace is a thing that, that has a tendency to overflow wherever it goes. So if we're drinking it in, we need to get in the habit of letting it flow out of us. You know, the very last verse, again, it talks about grace might reign through righteousness. We need to learn how to live lives where instead of living under the reign of death, we are actually letting grace reign through us. Where we are letting uh, grace inform everything about our lives, all of our relationships. You know, how, how should grace be informing the way that I interact with my children, how I parent them? How should grace inform how I interact with my spouse, with my closest friends, with the people that I work with. We need to think about how, how can grace be flowing out of me in every direction with the people that are closest to me, with the people that, that God just puts in front of me in my day. How can I be seeking to shower grace on everyone around me as God has showered his grace on me? This is how we, 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 begin, we, we begin to escape the reign of death and begin to live connected, filled with life, is by taking in as much grace as we can and letting it flow out of us. Letting it flow out of us in every direction possible. Ultimately, the way to real life is to let the abounding grace of God inform my life. And I, again, another word for the grace of God is the love of God. In the Old Testament, the word is hased. In the Old Testament, the word is hesed. That's, that's the word that is closest to grace in the New Testament. And the way that it's translated over and over again in the Old Testament, you know how hesed is translated? It's translated as steadfast love. This is what grace is. Grace is God's love, his steadfast love, his loyal love, his sacrificial love that's not dependent on us. But it's directed, aimed right at you. And in order to experience life, I need to Receive it. Simply receive it. Receive that love. That is how I become more alive. That is how I become more alive. I, I just saw um, a new movie version of The Velveteen Rabbit is being released this week. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that. Any of you guys are, are fans of the, the children's book, The Velveteen Rabbit? I'm not a massive fan, but I like the concept of it. And uh, if I don't, you know, describe it perfectly, please forgive me. But uh, basically, my understanding is that it's a it's a story about a little boy who receives a, a stuffed rabbit for a present, a velveteen rabbit. And I think in the original story, he he kind of like uh, he he neglects the rabbit because he has these other toys that are that are cooler, that he's kind of obsessed with. And uh, and and the velveteen rabbit ends up like in the nursery and uh, just you know wondering like longing to be more real, more alive. And, uh, and as the Velveteen Rabbit talks with the other toys, you know, he's like, how do you become more real? How do you become real? How do you become alive? And this wise horse that's in the nursery says this, 
this one thing to the rabbit, the, 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 wise, the skin horse, as he's called. He's, he says, real isn't how you're made. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. I think that's a picture of, of this is where we, this is how we become real. Romans 5 tells us this is how we become real. This is how we become alive, truly alive. It's by fixing our eyes, fixing our hearts on what Jesus has done, what he's accomplished, and turning towards God and just saying, lay it on me. Your abounding gift of grace, swimming in it, soaking in it, drinking it. That is how you become real. That is how you become alive. So I encourage you, urge you to seek to do that today. Figure out how to do it. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this passage. Um, we thank you for the reminder of the definitive work of Jesus, his act of righteousness, his act of obedience that opens for us the way to life And we pray, Father, that you would help us to receive it, to take hold of it, to drink it in. To drink in your grace, the way that you love the unlovely, the way that you pour out your goodness and your kindness on those who don't deserve it. We thank you, Father. We pray that you would help us to drink it in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now going to have a, a, a time where we, we're going to approach the Lord's table and be reminded of what he has done to pour out his grace upon us. And as